Did you guys enjoy that little flashback? Some of you thought when you left junior church as a child, that would be the last time you saw VeggieTales in church. And you were wrong. Do you believe that came out in 1999? That's crazy. I don't believe that. That's way too long ago, and I'm not that old, so it can't be true. Just curious, is anyone willing to admit that they were singing along under their breath, even quietly? A couple hands. Wesley was like, not even quietly. I'm surprised he didn't jump up and start dancing. I was, he was like all about it. I was really hoping you would be here today, Wesley. I was like, of all the mornings that I hope Wesley's at church, I really hope today. Um, if you don't know Wesley Proctor, he may have had, is it still pretty strong or is it, has it died down some? You're, okay. His affection for VeggieTales was quite strong um, into his teens and 20s and 30s. And so, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was really thinking about whether I should actually play that. And I texted Sandra. I was like, what do you think? So if anything ever happens in church and you're like, I don't think he should have done that. It's really Sandra's fault because she's the one that eggs me on. Like I have these ideas. Usually she reins me in because there's a lot of things I would have done and probably would have got fired for if she didn't say, it's probably not a good idea to do that. So um, I did bring an airsaw or I mean, uh, what was that? Like a, a pellet rifle. I brought a pellet rifle and used that on stage one time. That, that almost got me fired. But um, if you weren't here for that, it was great. None of us were hurt. Nothing actually was fired. But we did scare some people in the back row who thought I was actually going to shoot somebody. But anyway, it was great times. So, but there is actually a point to that this morning. There is a point for me showing that video other than just a cool little flashback um, and just kind of reminisce a little bit. But I, I, it does have a point, believe it or not, to the message today. And so uh, there is a sin that is so secret, so subtle in our lives that if we're not careful, it even starts innocent, but it can radically destroy the fellowship in a church. It keeps a church actually from experiencing the beauty of deep and real relationships. It will discourage and quench the spirits leading in the church individuals' lives it is also a sin we all struggle with, whether we want to admit it or not. There's no one in this room that has not, will not, or does not struggle with this sin. We've all wrestled with it. We will all wrestle with it. Because I believe it's one of those sins that doesn't get a lot of attention in churches, at least not the churches that I've been in. It's one that we've talked about off and on. But I know I went to Bible college. I heard lots of preachers come through, lots of great pastors and Bible teachers come through and teach chapel. I can't remember one time they talked about this specific issue at length. And I remember thinking, why is that? Why is it something that doesn't get a lot of attention from pulpits? I mean, there's a lot of sins in our culture today that get a lot of attention. But I find usually it's because the people in those churches don't battle with those things. So a pastor can preach those sins and get lots of amens. And everybody's like, come on, preacher, get on those sinners. But some sins and some issues that every believer struggles with, we don't really highlight those ones from the pulpit because that might actually step on toes. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that we don't have to worry about that. And what I mean is this, we, we talk about those issues and I can't tell you how many times I have people in our church come to me and be like, thank you for speaking on this or that issue over the years. I needed to hear that. Some pastors don't have that freedom, believe it or not. 
And I'm so thankful for a church where we have that freedom to speak on those things. So what is that sin? Well, you've probably figured it out from the video. It's the sin of gossip. The sin of gossip. I have to say as well, I do enjoy when a rumor comes back around to me. Have you ever had this happen to you? You, you hear of a rumor about yourself from someone else. And it's amazing when it comes back to you. And sometimes it's like, okay, that's 30% true. I can see where that started. Sometimes it's completely not true. You ever have one come back that was true? And you go, yeah, yeah, that actually, yep, okay. And what I like to tell people, well, after I laugh a little bit, because I've heard some pretty big ones um, over the years. I've heard some good ones about not only just me, about our church, um, some things that people were saying was going on in services, and I just kind of laughed. I was like, we're not that expressive in our worship to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, not, too, not too many years ago, maybe 2009, 10, uh, there was a rumor came back to me that we were running up and down the aisles, dancing during worship. I kind of laughed. I was like, I mean, a little bit of that would be kind of fun. Like, I would actually kind of like, that'd be cool to see, you know, like, but those kind of things, you hear those things, you kind of laugh them off. You're like, okay, whatever. But I like to tell people this when they come back to me and they say, did you hear about this? Usually what I tell them is simply this. Sometimes in my life, the best reality is to remind people that, listen, if you knew me like Jesus knew me, then you'd really have something to talk about. You want a rumor? Know me like Jesus knows me, and you'll have all the rumors you ever want. You'll have all kinds of gossip to spread. So I'm always kind of interested when those things come back around to me, and I'm sure you've experienced that as well. I want to open up this morning. I want to look at a couple of verses that really, to me, best describe the destructive nature of gossip in the church. Best describes the destructive nature of gossip in the church. And this is, again, as we're going to speak at at length. This is not a North Goodland problem. This is not a our church problem. This is a just a general thing we all struggle with. And I think the minute we can conquer that hill and realize we all battle with this to some degree, man, the quicker we can get the victory over this thing and stop thinking either I'm the only one or it's your problem, not my problem. We need to understand we all battle with this. Galatians chapter five, and I love the way Paul kind of fits this in here. Verse 13. He says this, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Can we praise God for the liberty we have in Christ? The freedom we have in Christ? Goes on to say this, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, or to the flesh rather, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I know Pastor Greg, Greg prayed. Let's go ahead and pray again and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we could gather, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you have been glorified in all that we've done so far in worshiping you and lifting you up. But we pray, Lord, as we go into this time of teaching and application from your word, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would lead, guide, and direct in all of this. You'd give us wisdom that only you can give us to discern the things of God, to discern the words of God, that we might live in a way that is in conformity to what you'd have for us. Lord, I know that it's easy to think of other people when we talk about things like this. But I pray, Lord, that we would not do that this morning, that we would think individually, 
that we would pray for wisdom and discernment and how we can grow in this area of understanding how this sin issue maybe has crept into our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. Help us to not make excuses, but to just be real with ourselves and real with you so that we can be changed and made more into the image of Christ. And why, Lord? All for your glory. This is not about anyone leaving here today feeling bad about themselves. It's about realizing that when we struggle with a sin issue, when we give that thing to you, when we surrender it to you, we can find victory and freedom and the grace needed to strengthen us and restore us. And so, Father, I pray that we would leave here today excited for what you have for us, looking for opportunities to make you known. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 5, we see this little phrase kind of thrown in there, but I don't believe it's by accident. I think he does this on purpose, of course. I want to notice the contrast in the passage. On one side, we are told to use our freedom in Christ to do what? To love one another. To love one another. uh, To love our neighbors as ourselves. And how is that love demonstrated? That love that we're encouraged to have, the love we can express freely because we have liberty in Christ, that love is demonstrated by what? By serving one another. Now, what that serving looks like, what shape it takes, it's altogether different. Your gifts and talents will lead you to serve someone in a certain way, where another person's gifts or talents would lead them to serve someone in a different way. Uh, Maybe you're mechanically inclined, and so the way you serve others and show love is you offer to do things for them with their vehicles. Uh, Maybe you are more of a server and, and understanding that, hey, I can go over and do some laundry for this person and just help around the house with some things. That's what I can do. I've got time to do that. Maybe you love to cook and it's just something you enjoy. And so making meals for someone is something that you enjoy doing to show that love for someone else. Whatever it is, the point that Paul's making is the freedom we have in Christ is to be used to serve and love one another, to be a blessing to them. The other side of this contrast or the other side of the coin is the demonstration of not loving one another. So we've got loving one another by serving them, or we don't love one another by doing what? The phrase is bite and devour one another. So we either love and serve our neighbor as ourselves by showing that love of Christ that we've received, or we choose to not love one another and not demonstrate a love for our neighbors by biting and devouring one another. And I got to tell you, that, that phrase to me has always stuck with me for many years of the nature of gossip in the church, to bite and devour one another. Now, we're not literally biting and devouring each other because I don't think anybody would show up next week if somebody leaned over to you at church today and just took a chunk out of your arm. I don't think you'd go, that's a nice church. I should go back next Sunday. Obviously, Paul's being figurative here. And what's he talking about? What are we biting and devouring? The other person's character, right? We're we're attacking their integrity. They're, They're an image bearer of God and we're going after them and attacking them and devouring them. And we're doing this for many different reasons, but it doesn't really matter what the reason is. Ultimately, we're not loving one another. And what did Jesus say? Man, you want to know how the world is going to know that you're my disciples? It's not how loud you protest or boycott. That's not how they know. They know if you love one another. When we have a love for one another, that's Jesus said. Then they'll know that I came from the Father and that I love you and I love them if they see a love for one for another. Because that's what's radically different about the church. 
That's what makes the church altogether different from the very founding in Acts 2 all the way till today. It's the ability for people of different backgrounds and different mindsets and different views and different genders and different everything, just different races, supposed races, to come together and to say as one body, we edify the Lord Jesus Christ and we love one another. That's what makes the church different. And so when we talk about these things, it's two options. I'm either loving my neighbor as myself by serving them, or I'm biting and devouring with words that just try to consume the other person. And what's going to happen, according to Paul, what happens when we allow the biting and devouring to continue and we actually engage in it? He says, this is what's going to happen. You're all going to be consumed. So you're biting and devouring someone else, but guess what? You're actually going to be consumed because of that. Because we're going to get caught up in it just as much. Paul points out that if the behavior continues, they will consume one another. The title for the message this morning, I really couldn't think of any other way to say this other than the cancer of gossip. Because that's what I think of when I think of the sin of gossip. It's a, it starts so small. And without much time at all, it seems to just spread throughout the whole body. And it can really destroy it. Now, let me be clear on this. It doesn't stop the church. People have said that before. Well, cancer will stop a church from being what God wants it to be. Nothing stops the church because it's God's church. It's his church, and he will build his church. Nothing stops the church, whole big picture church. But local churches, local bodies like ours, will definitely be hindered in all that God has for us, and our fellowship will be destroyed and attacked. We've got to get this in our heads. It's not like, well, if there's gossip in our church, the whole church is stopped. No, 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 no. The gates of hell don't stop the church. Nothing stops the church. But as a local church, if we want to enjoy the deep, real, beautiful fellowship that's in Christ, available in Christ, we have to eliminate the cancer of gossip. We have to make a step to say, I'm going to be guarded against this. So what is gossip? This is a question I've had many times asked of me as a pastor. Somebody will come and say, you know, Pastor, I need to share something with you, but I don't know if I can or should because it, I don't know if it's gossip. What is gossip? A good definition that I heard years ago for gossip could be, and I like this way it's kind of summarized. It's not exhaustive, but it's kind of a good way to think about it. If you're talking about it and you're not part of the problem nor part of the solution, if you're talking about it and you're not part of the problem nor part of the solution, Basically, if you are telling someone something about someone else and the motivation is to either tear that person down or lift you up as better than them, that could be gossip. If I'm telling somebody something about someone else and the only motivation is to be able to tear that person we're talking about down or to build myself up as better than them, that's gossip. Gossip is a common thing in our world today. And this is where people say, well, wait a minute. What if it's true, though? What if what I'm saying is true? Well, my question again would be, and just my opinion based on principles in God's word, my question would be, if it is true, what's your motivation for telling someone whatever that is about that person? Are you seeking wisdom from a spiritual leader in how to help that person overcome that sin issue in their life? Or are you wanting to merely kick them when they are down? And you like it when more people get involved. 
Listen, we all struggle with sin. And you may find out about a brother or sister in Christ who truly struggles in a certain sin. And it's true. They actually fell into that sin. But then we have to ask ourselves, what is my motivation then in sharing that that I now know with someone else not included in the situation? Now, I just let you know, if you go to a spiritual leader, someone you trust spiritually as someone maybe that you confide in personally, and you go to them and say, listen, I need to know. I don't know how to go about handling this. I don't know what wisdom looks like. Can you give me wisdom from God's word and how I can help my brother and sister get out of this sin issue, get victory over that? And I go graciously and I go humbly acknowledging my own sin first and foremost. To me, that's not gossip when you go in that mindset with that motivation, looking for wisdom and how to help. Can we, you don't even say the person's name. You can just say, hey, listen, would you pray for me? Can we pray together that I would have wisdom in helping my brother and sister get over this or move, move past that? So what's our motivation in saying these things? What's our motivation? Even if it's true, what's our desired outcome? What do we hope will come out of this? And I think when we start asking those questions instead of just saying things, I think we'll find a greater peace and a greater unity in the church. I said it before, gossip is a common thing in our world today. In fact, gossip tabloid shows, media that that thrive on gossip and, and talking about different celebrities are very, very popular. Everyone in our world likes to dish the dirt on that, this or that celebrity, right? Now, this is going to be one of those, okay, we got to come to Jesus for a second here. This is church, okay? It's going to be real for a minute. I think all of us need to admit to some degree when you're standing in line at Walmart, because we all know you stand at line at Walmart. It's just something you do. They got 47 registers, four are open. I don't know why. Just to mess with you. We could have all these open, but we don't because we want you to wait. And you're standing there. And what's, what's in the end of that little area where you're waiting? Those magazines? You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't even know the people and all these other ones, right? It's not by accident they put all those things on the cover, Right? These catchy phrases or these, these catchy titles that try to get you to wonder, like, what's going on with this or that person? Like, or this celebrity couple's now in disarray, you know, and, and this or that. And most people, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit, I'll be honest, I'll admit, I, I've never bought one. I've never really flipped through one. But I've stood there and thought, come on, that can't be true. No, come on, really? No, come on. And there's been some temptation to go, I mean, it's kind of interesting, maybe, right? Man, our world just thrives on this. And I know you, you good Christians that you are, walking with Jesus, right? Like loving the Lord, praying 24-7. You know, you're just doing all these great things. You would see those things and just be appalled. You would never be tempted to flip through one. You would never be tempted to know if that really is what J-Lo did two weeks ago. You would never do that. You would never want to know that. But some of us, in our world today can be tempted by this because gossip is a common thing in our world. It's something we all see. Our culture thrives on this. I mean, this is the whole thing behind even media a lot of times is to get you to click on articles, right? To find out, did this person really do this or that? It's just this thing in our culture. But again, the truth is, if we're being honest, the truth is gossip is normal in our world today, but it should not be normal in our churches. Gossip is normal in our world today, but it should not be normal or normalized in our churches. Romans 1.29, you can look it up when you have time. It speaks to this area of Paul talking about all the sin he sees 
around him. And some have said he could have very easily just looked out his window when he wrote this book and he sees just the crazy sin in Corinth and other areas that he had done. And it talks about all this listing of sins when it talks about God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And he's listing all these sins. And in verse 29 of Romans chapter 1, it ends with whispers. It says whispers. And if you don't know what that word whispers means, it means basically translated gossip. And then you read, read all these other sins that are listed there. Sins that we'd go like, we'd be appalled by that somebody would do these things. And then they're mixed in just subtly is the word gossip. See, it's normal in our world today. But our prayer is that it will not be normal in our churches. Gossip is not only something we need to define and understand so we can know how to avoid it. Gossip is also the secret enemy or the secret weapon the enemy uses to destroy the fellowship in the church. It's the secret weapon the enemy uses to destroy fellowship in the church. This is the idea of gossip. This is an issue in every church when the people of the church allow it to continue in their church. The the weapon of gossip, the sin of gossip, this is the weapon that the enemy uses to destroy the fellowship in the church when the church allow it to continue in their church. The church should be the safest place in the world. The church should be, as far as individuals, able to share a hurt, a pain, a mistake, a sin, to share it with another brother or sister in Christ and not be talked about over Sunday lunch and not be talked about over Sunday lunch. I think it's something that we need to realize is going on in our world today. I don't know what's going on, but my whole iPad just went blank. You guys think I'm kidding. It just blanked out. The whole thing is gone. That's fine. We'll keep going. Um, It says all the words are there, but it's just blank guys. So I, I really want to unpack this though. Because I think that what I just said is so true. That in our world today, in the churches today, there is a desire for vulnerability. There's a desire for people to be open and honest. Because as body members, as parts of the body of Christ, what do we desire? We want to grow together. We want to lean on each other. What does James say? Pray for one another, right? Confess your faults to one another. And we want to pray for each other. We like the praying for one another thing, but we don't really like that confessing our faults. And not just because we're worried about someone saying this or that about us or judging us. It's because, honestly, we've done that before, and it's come back to us as a rumor. We've shared something, and then it came back around to us as a a word of, of gossip or rumor to us. And so we pull back, and we go, well, I can't be vulnerable because if I'm vulnerable, it's not going to be prayed for. It's going to be talked about. It's going to come back around. I'm going to be judged and isolated and and targeted. You see, vulnerability should be the trademark of the local church. Vulnerability and openness and honesty should be the trademark of the local church. But most Christians will avoid honesty and vulnerability with one another because they are fearful that what I share is going to get used against me and talked about, not prayed for. Also think of it this way. Maybe that person that is sitting, receiving this gossip, receiving this rumor, hasn't gone through something yet. And some time goes by, and now they go through something, and now they want to be vulnerable. They want to be transparent, but they remember back and go, wait a minute, but I remember so-and-so was going through that, and all we did was talk about it and gossip about it. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a part of that. 
So to me, when we think about this idea of vulnerability in the church and transparency in the church, we have to understand that it starts and ends with us guarding our hearts and minds against gossip and realizing I am not going to spread what I hear. I'm not going to talk about what I hear. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to go to that person. I'm going to love on that person. I'm going to encourage that person. And this is the other thing too. People say, well, wait a minute. Then we can't say a harsh truth. We can't be real with people. No, you can. But my, again, my motivation is why are you doing this? Why are you going to that person? And why are you including someone else in the situation? How are we going through those biblical steps that God calls us to? You see, gossip is a sin that we must avoid because it's the secret weapon the enemy uses to destroy the fellowship in the church and to destroy that deep, real relationships. But also gossip is something that we can avoid and guard against. If you want to say it this way, we can kill that, that rumor weed spiritually by using wisdom and discernment. Go over to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. I love this passage, this verse. Proverbs chapter 16. Popular passage, but there's a phrase in here that I really love. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 23. says here, the heart of the wise, Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. How is it that we can be guarded against these rumor weeds that start to creep up in the church, which really are just started with the root of bitterness or other sins that come up into our lives? Well, Proverbs is pretty clear on this. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. The heart of the wise, so there's a desire for wisdom. I need to be wise. I need to know what wisdom is. So I get into God's word and I seek true wisdom. I seek heavenly wisdom. Right? I, I look into God's word and ask, God, teach me at my heart or in my heart what wisdom really is. I want your wisdom, not man's wisdom. Because what is the world's wisdom? That gossip is normal. Gossip is fine. It's all good. But God's wisdom is higher. And I seek that wisdom. I say, God, teach my heart. Instruct my heart. We look at it this way. I don't want to gossip, so I'm going to watch what I say. We start with the words. That's not really the biblical starting point, is it? It's not I start with my words and work back. I start at the heart and I work out. See, when I allow God to teach my heart wisdom, and that's the foundation of my wisdom, it comes out of my heart words that would glorify him, that would edify someone else. And that's what Jesus says in Luke. Luke chapter 6. Let's go there real quick. Luke chapter 6. I got to remind myself where this verse was. Luke Yes, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. So what do we just say? The heart, right? The wisdom of the heart, the wise in heart, teach their mouth what to say. So I'm, I'm allowing the wisdom in my heart to teach my words, to educate my words so that my words are pleasing to the Lord. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Luke six forty-five. It says this, a good man 
out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. See, Jesus made it so clear. It's not about trying to correct the outside to change the inner. It's the inside that's being changed by the person and work of Jesus Christ by the indwelling of his spirit, the instruction of his word, and my very heart is being changed into the the things of God. I, I want to please him with what I do and say. And out of the wisdom of my heart, my mouth is instructed. And I love this. It doesn't come natural. Did you guys catch that? It doesn't come natural that I'm going to say right things and godly things and edifying things. What's the natural in the flesh? To attack, to destroy to tear down. And you might say, come on, is it really that bad? Just if you, if you, I don't encourage people spending a lot of time on social media, uh, cause I think it really discourages you. If you spend too much time on there, it doesn't have to, you can use it as a platform to encourage others, but just start listening to people that don't know Christ or that are not walking in Christ. And some of the things they say about other people, that's the natural overflow of a heart that's corrupted and deceitful. But in Christ, This is the frustrating thing. In Christ, it doesn't have to be that way. Now, can a Christian say things that aren't really godly, aren't really Christian, aren't really edifying? Of course. We can be saved and still make a sin choice. The Bible's clear on that. But I love what James says. James says, hey, should good water, should fresh water and bitter water come from the same fountain? Shouldn't be this way. We praise God, but we curse man who's made in the likeness of God. Shouldn't be this way. And he's writing to the church. He's saying, listen, church, you don't have to do that. Man, you've got a whole different option. You can actually let the heart that you have in Christ overflow to your words. And now we're speaking things that are edifying and building up and, and using our words, as Proverbs says, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. But if we're not careful, we'll allow our flesh to creep in. And our words will be perverted. And our heart in Christ will stop instructing our words. And our words will just run sideways. But what does James 3 say? Man, what a, what a large fire. Right? What a large consuming fire a little kindling can bring. And our tongue is that little kindling. That little bit of fire that starts. And it just erupts into this massive blaze. James is so clear. He says, listen, you want to know who a real Christ follower is, somebody that desires to follow Christ? They desire to control their tongue. And we need to be encouraged by God this morning to know that we need to guard our very words. We need to guard our hearts. And that I love that the Bible actually says that through Christ, he guards our hearts and our minds. And so it's just surrendering to him. It's just allowing him to lead us and guide us. And then from a heart in Christ, instruct our very mouths. And I wanted to share this as well, because sometimes, again, I think we think it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Is it really that big a deal what gossip can do? I mean, what's the big deal, preacher? In our own church history... Just a little over 14 years ago, which is crazy to think about that that's how long ago this happened. A little over 14 years ago, we had a small group of people that allowed gossip to run rampant. And that small group of people led to a little bit bigger group of people. And our church went through one of the craziest times in our church's history of a split and division and infighting. And I'll never forget standing in right over here 
and I was watching grown men and women. I worked with the teens then. This would have been 2007. I worked with the students then. When students acted like students, I expected that. Here's the reality. Some students, some teenagers, sorry teenagers, can be a little immature. It's just the reality of it, okay? I know you're 13, 14. You know everything, but I'm just saying sometimes you can be a little immature, okay? It is what it is. But I want to comfort you with this to the teens in here, to the students in here. Adults can be pretty immature at times. I've been pretty immature at times. We started the service watching VeggieTales. Come on. I mean, where are we at? But I remember sitting there watching grown men and women in the Lord act like fighting two-year-olds, saying hurtful. Oh, but preacher, some of it was true. I'll be honest with you, at that point and the way it was handled, I could care less. Because the truth was lost in the bitterness, the envy, the divisiveness. There was nothing Christ-honoring in those moments. It was just people saying, I'm going to say what I want to say. You're going to listen. And I saw that firsthand. And not only that moment, I saw the ripple effect of that. And relationships destroyed. Family, friends that were so tight with one another. Just relationships ripped apart. Because they didn't guard their mouths. Because they didn't let the wisdom they had in their heart to come out into their mouth. And I'm telling you from church experience, my life experience, gossip seems like this little tiny thing. What's the big deal? Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said that about so-and-so. Maybe it wasn't best. But I'm telling you, if we don't guard our hearts and minds, or rather, if we don't allow Christ to guard our hearts and minds and walk in that, we will see destruction in our relationships, division in the church, and will the church continue? Absolutely. It's his church. He's building it. I have all the confidence in my Savior to build his church as he said he will. But the question is, do we as a local church get to be involved the way we desire to be involved in what he's doing? Gossip is a destructive, damaging sin. Last thing on how to guard against this. Go over to Galatians again. Galatians chapter 5. Go back to that passage we started in. We need to allow Christ to be the focal point of all of this. Our hearts will instruct our words if we allow Christ to change us and shape us into the image of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, we read a few verses there, verses 13 through 16. But go down to verse 16. And I know I spend a lot of time on this verse over the years, but it's one that I think is a great summary verse for our lives as followers of Christ. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, we think, okay, if I just watch what I say, just watch my words and don't say this and don't say that. Guys, it's so much deeper than that. And if we're being honest, it's actually much simpler than that. It's when I just walk in the spirit and I walk in Christ and I'm just enjoying the relationship that I have in Christ. I'm just spending time with him. I'm in his word, not because I have to check the box of religion and go, okay, I spent time in your word today, Lord. Not because I'm trying to check the the box of impressing others so I can sit and brag about how long I was in the word for. 
But it's a genuine desire to say, no, man, listen, I'm there because I can't believe he loves me. I've spent time in his word because I can't believe that this God would ever even reveal himself to me, let alone have a relationship with me. We spend time in his word. And then, listen, we can encourage others with that. If our heart is right, we can say, man, can I just share with you how God is moving in the time I spent in his word this morning? There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, that's awesome to do that because you might be motivating someone else to go, man, I, I need to improve in that area. I need to get into God's word more. And I see the things that God is doing in this person's life. I see the fruit that God is producing. And I want to spend time in God's word because I want to please God that way. We spend time in his word and we spend time getting to know him. And then we spend time in prayer asking him to shape us into the image of Christ. Asking him to change us and to make us new. Because as I started off saying, we all struggle with this. And we're not going to get it all figured out and all straight by just ourselves trying to fix it. I'll just watch what I say, preacher. I'll just watch what I say. I'm telling you, that will not work. But man, Paul says it's so clear. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not me fixing me. It's him changing me. Anything good that is produced in my life is not done because of me. Anything godly that is produced in your life, Christian, is not because of you in your ability to do this or that. It is produced solely by the gracious working of the Spirit of God through you. It is the Spirit of God. And when you read this passage on, you see he lists all these sins. And he's talking about, the, in verse 17, that the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. It's these warring forces. If you've never really read it or studied it, Romans chapter 7, Paul shares, talk about vulnerability. Paul gets super vulnerable in sharing all his struggles with that. And I've heard some theologians or commentaries say, well, Paul was speaking before he was a Christian. And that is not how the text reads. It reads, right now I'm not doing what I should do, and I'm doing what I don't want to do. And who is it that's doing these things but sin in me? And then Romans 8.1, but there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's not only sharing with the Galatian church, these are things you're going to struggle with. He shares in Romans 7, these are things I struggle with because the flesh and the spirit until the day we leave this world will war and war and war. And then he lists all these things that are examples of fruits of the flesh, the manifestation of the flesh, and all these things that he lists here. And then he gets down to verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Then he says this in verse 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also, there's that phrase again, walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And he ends it with this challenge. He lists all these sins. If you're going to let the flesh manifest, this is what it's going to look like. If you walk in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit's produced, this is what this looks like. And then he gives this great encouragement, reminding the church that you are dead in Christ, that your life is no longer your own, that it is in Christ. Romans 6, we are hid in him, in his death, and in his resurrection, that we have a newness of life. And he points that out to them again. He says, listen, those affections that you have, they're in the flesh, but that doesn't have to rule and reign over you because that's dead and gone. You don't have to walk in that any longer. But man, you can walk in the spirit of God. You can walk in this newness of life. 
And then he reminds them again, let us not be desirous of vain glory. I love that he kind of bookends this for us. He says, listen, as you're walking in the spirit, what's going to happen? The fruit of the spirit's going to be produced. But being fickle human beings that we are, what's going to happen as those fruits are being produced? We're going to be desirous of vain glory. The word vain means what? Empty. There's nothing to it. There's no weight to it. That's why it says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. It's, it's saying the Lord's name, but with no weight. And in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, that weight is referring to the glory of God. That when you say the name of God, especially the, the amazing name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, any name you want to give him that scripture records for us, that there should be a weight to the very understanding of the glory of God in that name. But when I just say his name flippantly, I'm giving it, it's just vain. There's no weight to it. It's just empty. So when I have vain glory, it's glory that I think I have in myself, but it's really vain. Because the only glory I can praise God for, and the only way I can glorify in this life and the things that he's given me is by glorifying the cross, by pushing people to Jesus. He says, listen, as these things are happening in your life, don't be desirous of vain glory. Don't provoke one another, like in a negative sense. And then he says this, don't envy one another. That means as you see the fruit of God being produced in someone else's life, don't envy them. Don't be bitter against them. Rejoice with them. Be excited for them as God is working. And then ask God, God, do this in my life so that you would be glorified. See, Paul starts with this amazing challenge. But the key I want us to understand is the only way we're going to see God evidenced in our lives, the fruit of God manifested in our lives is the walk in the spirit. That doesn't just mean I won't do the really, really bad things I shouldn't do. It's saying if I want to avoid gossip and backbiting and biting and devouring one another, I need to walk in the spirit. It starts in that relationship. It starts with the simplicity of walking in Christ. And as an overflow, we'll begin to change our hearts and our minds and our words. I want to encourage you this morning, church. Proverbs 16 is so powerful. Our words are instructed by our hearts. And our hearts are surrendered to Christ. That when I surrender my heart to him, that he is the one that will use me. Now, again, I know you might be thinking, well, how do I put this practically into my life? How do I practically apply this to my life? I want to just give you a couple questions to ask yourself. When you're getting ready to say something about someone else to someone else, Maybe ask yourself a couple questions. Just self-evaluation. Biggest question we ask is, why am I going to say this to this person? Why do I want to say this to this person? What's, what's my goal in saying this? Another thing you might ask is, if you're talking to someone, because that's really what happens, right? Usually we gossip about someone to someone. And what we don't realize is, as the kind of the in-between here, if I'm talking to someone about someone, I'm actually leading this person I'm talking to into sin. I'm tempting them into sin. And so when I'm getting ready to say something to someone, I need to think, is this edifying for who I'm talking about or who I'm talking to? If I'm talking about someone, is it building them up? If I'm talking to someone, is the result going to be that they're built up? What does Ephesians 4.29 say? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying. Corrupt communication. People think, oh, that means you can't swear, you can't say this, you can't say that. It's, if you look at the passage... Anything that's not edifying is corrupt. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm not talking if you're sitting with some friends and you're teasing one another, joking a little bit, and everybody knows it's a joke, and you're joking in motivation and all that. You can have a good time with your friends, and that's fine. 
But again, when, when Pastor Keith and I get together and we are teasing each other a little bit, he knows my heart, I know his. And if we joke with each other, that's one thing. But I'm not going to use that platform as a way to talk about someone else. Or I shouldn't, rather. But can I be transparent for a minute here? I've gossiped about people before. I've said things about people that I shouldn't have said. I've done this as a believer. I'll be transparent enough with you to say I've done that. But I, I, it shames me to think that I've done that. It breaks my heart to think that I've done that. That I've taken a bite out of someone else's character. And then led someone else into sin by telling them. Man, Christian, we need to evaluate the words we say before we say them. You ever say something and knew it was the wrong thing to say? I've said it for a long time. If I could invent something that was like a 30-second window, 15-second window that you could say something, but you had 15 seconds to retrieve it and bring it back before the hearer heard it, you'd make a billion dollars. Man, just in marriages alone, you'd make a lot of money. You say something kind of groggy, kind of half asleep, don't really think, it, well, no, get it back, bring it back in. Man, we've, we've all been there, Christian. But it starts with our hearts being turned to Christ and letting our hearts instruct our words and then to think about what we're going to say before we say it. But you know what our problem is? We're reactionary creatures. Somebody says something to us and we just react. And we, we're two or three lines into a conversation before we realize what we're even saying. So here's my encouragement. Why are you saying what you're saying? Why are the words that you're saying coming out of your mouth? What is the point of it? What's the motivation in saying it? Will it edify the hearer and edify the one you're speaking about? And let me be clear on this. If you say, well, but preacher, what if I, you know, again, a brother and sister stumbles in sin. What do I do with that? How do I handle that? I want to help them, but I don't know what to do. Then you go to somebody that's a spiritual leader in your life. Someone that you trust in the Lord, that you know walks with the Lord that you know is someone you can trust in and you share with them and you say, listen, would you pray for me for wisdom in this? I want to deal with this, but I don't know what wisdom looks like. But if I can encourage you with this, it's, it's not going to five or six or seven or eight or 10 people. That's the difference. The Bible is very clear on this. If you have an issue with someone, you go one-on-one. -on -one. When it says you go two-on-one, -on -one, what it's referring to is someone in spiritual influence, leadership in your relationship. So this desire of restoration can be obtained. And so I encourage you, study these things out, pray these things out, and ask God for wisdom in this, because I promise you, if we allow gossip to run rampant in a church, that church's fellowship will be destroyed. And we will never experience the beauty of deep relationships that are possible in Christ. So we're going to have a time of invitation, and here's what I want to do. It's going to be, I just want to challenge you simply. I just want to ask you to come and to maybe say, you know what, Lord, I've, I've given into the sin of gossip. I've done that in my life. And I pray that you would forgive me for that. I confess it before you. I ask that you would give me strength to avoid it. But I ask more that you would teach my heart the wisdom that you have for me. That my heart would teach my lips and my lips would glorify you. Maybe you would come and pray a prayer similar to that. Maybe you're here this morning and if we're being honest, you've been gossiped about. And it came back around to you. And it hurt you. It just destroyed you because you thought, man, I thought I could trust this or that person. Let me encourage you that while people let you down, God will never let you down. Christ will never forsake you. And so if you've allowed the enemy to have gain, to gain ground rather in your mind because of the failure of someone else, maybe you'd come this morning and say, Lord, I repent of that. And I ask that you would show me that you are the one I look to. 
that when people let me down, I trust in you. Whatever God is doing this morning, I wanted this morning to be a very practical message of just self-evaluation, asking God to give us wisdom so that we can see our church grow into such a beautiful fellowship where there's just this oneness and this unity in Christ, that we walk in Christ together, encouraging each other, praying for one another, and there's vulnerability to express those times of struggle and pain. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord God, I thank you for bringing to remembrance those things that you wanted me to say this morning. Lord, all glory goes to you and that you are a God that communicates your word through all different means. And Father, I don't know all that you're going to do in the lives of these that are here today. But Lord, I know based on experience in my own life, my own weaknesses, based on just being in ministry for a long time, Lord, I know that gossip and the sin of gossip can be destructive and damaging to the fellowship, to the oneness that you call us to. Lord, you call us to be one with one another and one with you as you are one with the Father. And that takes vulnerability. That takes transparency. It doesn't mean, Lord, we share everything with everyone. It means we're just willing to be real. But Lord, in churches across this country and in this world, there are people who are imperfect, saved and then dwelt with the Spirit of God, but still imperfect, still growing, still journeying. And so sometimes, Lord, we allow our flesh to instruct our lips, our old heart, our old man, to instruct what we say. I pray, Lord, that we would that we refuse influence of our flesh and we would walk in the Spirit and that our heart in Christ will instruct our lips on what to say. Father, I pray that you'd be with anyone here, Lord, that needs to make a decision today to respond in some way. Lord, this message isn't about anyone. It's about all of us coming together, desiring to be the church that you've called us to be, to be transparent and vulnerable and real, but also to guard one another, to pray for and with one another, and to be ever so careful to check our motivations on why we say what we say about one another. And so, Lord, again, as only you can, by the working of your spirit, give us your wisdom, lead us and guide us, and thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, that you've been glorified. I pray that you would strengthen us as individuals, as followers of Christ. And thank you for this morning. Father, be with us now as we respond to you and all that you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? However God is leading, would you respond? Maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now that has nothing to do with this morning. Nothing we talked about. You want to come and just pray and ask God to move. Would you respond to him as we spend some time before him this morning?